Thanks for joining us today for the Post-Traumatic Faith Podcast, a place where trauma, hardship, and challenge meet faith and hope for the future. Here is your host, Jill Riley. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. Season 3 has arrived. I am so excited to share with you this season new guests, new topics, and some great conversations. Thank you so much for joining us, and here's today's guest. Welcome to Post-Traumatic Faith. This is Jill Riley, and today I'm so excited to have Travail Lynch with us. Good morning, Travail. Hey, good morning, Jill. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited for this moment. Me too. I've been looking forward (laughs) to this for a long time. So what is going on in Arcadia today? Well, what's exciting about Arcadia is I'm no longer there. I'm now in the city of Glendora. Yeah, oh. since the last time we spoke, yeah, since the last time we spoke, uh, you know, as the Lord would have it, uh, we needed to immediately relocate. Um, and so uh, we got a notice uh, from from the homeowners that we were renting from and we needed to move ASAP. Uh, we're in this seller's market, I guess, right now, and everyone's yeah. hot to the market. So, yeah, but the Lord blessed us with a home even bigger, even nicer, nicer area, amazing neighbors. So that's what's new in Arcadia. We're no longer there. Yeah. So how far away is Glendora then? <laughs> uh, it's literally another three miles. So it's oh, okay. uh, yeah, right over the hill. Yeah, it's not a not a big jump. Cool. So tell me about your family. Yeah, so I, I have an amazing wife of okay, so we got twenty one years of marriage, twenty-three years together, um, four amazing children three graduates. I just had another graduate last week. So we're excited about that. So three adults and uh, got one more to graduate. My youngest son uh, will graduate from high school next next year. So three boys, one girl. Um, and God has blessed us to, uh, you know, they're all healthy, strong. They're all uh, ambitious. They're all in their well, you know, in their right minds, as we say. So uh, I'm very, very blessed uh, with the family that God's given me. So here's my experience parenting young adults. I feel like parenting young adults is kind of like this kitty paw thing. You're always kind of trying to put pressure on and trying to figure out what, how much you can say and what you can't say. And it's like you have all the permission to parent, but none of the responsibility. And it's just, it's this weird stage, isn't it? What is, what is, it's finding that balance of, how much do I say? How much do I allow the Lord to have his way in a sense? I mean, obviously he's, he's always having his way, but it's how much do I verbally say and how much do I pray? That, that That's really the balance. Yes. How much needs to be said to them and how much needs to be said to the Lord on their behalf? That's yes, the absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> we have four yeah. kids also, and it's, it's the same yeah. way. And they're all graduated now. And actually they're all four married. Um, and so that makes it even, even more interesting because you're like, you're like, okay, what do I, what do I say here? Not interrupt your relationship and <laughs> lots of, pr- lots of prayer though. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Every day it's, you can't go without it. You can't go yep. without it. Cause it's, cause it's always something to pray for and about. Um, and it's always something to, as, as a father in terms of, you know, leadership in the home and, and just kind of being that, that spiritual covering, there's always something to, there, there's always a piece of yourself to lay before the Lord to say, man, if I don't let you 
shape my perception and perspective on these things, I'm really going to mess something up. Uh, right. And so, yeah, right. yeah, there's always a piece of you to lay before God and say, Lord, uh, how should I go about this? Yep. I don't got Absolutely. it, but I know you do. Absolutely. <laughs> so, t- <laughs> so tell me yeah. a little bit about growing up. Where'd you grow up at? Grew up in the Midwest, uh, born in Chicago, Illinois, moved to Toledo, Ohio at the age of seven. And that's where all the drama the pain, the shame, the hurt, <laughs> the discouragement, the disheartenment um, all began. Uh, so, yeah, grew up in, uh, well, born in Chicago, grew up in Toledo, uh, and we moved there when I was about seven years old. And okay. that was when, that was when, you know, I could look back and see pictures of when I was like a skinny kid and, you know, kind of playing in the backyard, making mud pies and things such as that. And, you know, s- sticks and bones, man, just, you know, skinny guy. And then instantly, you know, the age of seven, between seven and eight, I just ballooned up for whatever reason um, and gained a lot, a lot of weight. And I just really became, uh, you know, the one that they laughed at, picked on, alienated. Uh, I became the outcast. I became everyone's punching bag. And so really that began sort of the cycle of, you know, emotional abuse and, and you know, being bullied and, and being taunted um, and just really feeling like I didn't fit in, like I didn't belong. In, where did in, the in crowds. where did the weight gain um, come from? Was there something medical going on or was there just just happened? Yeah, you know what? When I look back at it, no, there was nothing medically uh, that was diagnosed. When I look back at it, the best thing I can attribute to that was the stress of seeing my mother physically abused. I think now that I understand hormones and I understand uh, stress and how it impacts the body and how we look to regulate ourselves through unhealthy habits, such as overeating, I don't have clear you know, memories of that space, but I do remember seeing her abused and I do, I do remember being very afraid. And I think that that's what led to it. Maybe I used food as an outlet. Maybe I uh, just retained a lot of that stress within my body. And Mm -hmm. I think that that may have caused that. Well, you know, it's so true. Trauma and stress stored in our body um, creates havoc with with our systems. And um, anybody who says those things are not related doesn't know what they're talking about, in my opinion. Um, They're so intertwined. So what do you think? um, What do you think the effect of bullying is on children? Um, What what does that do in a child's mind? I think it conditions them to always compromise for something that God's given us all this innate desire to fit in this innate desire to belong and this innate desire to be a part of society. We we were created to belong and to fit in and to have a place and a position in this world and to play our part, so to speak. And I think that in children, at least in my own life, I became a, as, what what many would call a people pleaser. I'm going to sacrifice who I know I am, what I really believe, what I really desire to do, how I really desire to express myself. I'm going to hide all of that, tuck all the other way, suppress all of that and do whatever you want. I'm going to do whatever you want me to do. I'm going to say whatever you want me to say. I'm going to act like however you want me to act because I need to fit in and I want to be accepted by you. And I already got this jacked up view of myself because all these people keep picking on me. So obviously they're right. I'm wrong. And because there's such a consistency 
of being bullied and picked on and called names. There's no evidence that I'm not these things. So I have to buy into and and I have to adopt and to adapt to the environment that I'm in. Right. So I think it just conditions them to really lose themselves and become everything everyone else wants them to be. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's such dangerous ground because then you're influenced by anything and everything. And if you don't end up with the right influences, then you're like a sponge for whatever happens around you. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Normally all the wrong things. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Definitely. Right. Yeah. Cause you're in those formative years, you're like, you're formulated. It's like you are being formed. You're like a clay being, you know, formed and fashioned into something. And all you know is I need to develop into something. I need to become something. What is that something? And my environment is telling me I need to become this and mm -hmm. I need to sound like this and be like this and dress like this. Um, so yeah, absolutely. We're, we're yeah. heavily influenced during those years. Yeah. So at what point um, did you feel like the bullying went on all the way through into high school or did that taper off some? Or did, you, did you find a group of belonging later on? It went through middle school. So um, or back back in the Midwest, what we call high school. I mean, I'm sorry, junior high. Uh, it didn't stop until high school. That's when I gained a lot of muscle. I joined the football team. Um, and <laughs> quite interesting enough, uh, the first day of high school is when I was introduced to marijuana mm. and I was hooked on marijuana ever since as a freshman day one. I remember it like yesterday I was introduced to marijuana at a bus stop. And so that was an instant uh, belonging. Those guys who were smoking weed, they say, hey, man, come try this. Come over here. Smoke with us. I smoked. And instantly I had friends, I had a group, I had people that, you know, at least I called my friends. Um, so all the bullying, all of the outcasting, all of that stopped day one of high school. Interesting. Interesting. So it is, it is. <laughs> when, when, so did the marijuana usage continue through high school then? It continued until Jesus, until, <laughs> until, I, <laughs> until I became a Christian in jail. And about a year and a half after that, no, marijuana was with me from age 14 through age 23. Okay. All the way okay. through. I was, yeah, I was addicted to it. When people say weed is not, you know, something that you can't be addicted to, you know, addiction is for crack and heroin and no, no, please. No, you can get addicted to anything that you depend on for your happiness. Right. <laughs> I was just going to ask you what, um, what you think about the discussion about marijuana being a gateway drug to harder drugs. No, it's just a drug. If you want to do those other things, you would do those other things too. I never tried any of those other things. I never, you know, cry, you know, you know, try crack or, uh, you know, cocaine or anything like that. I was perfectly, perfectly content with the high that marijuana gave me. It was accessible. It was cool. Um, there were so many different ways that you could smoke it. I mean, you could just let your imagination run wild. I mean, you could cook with it, you know, I mean, I'm not trying to give out any tips to your listeners. Or anything, but, <laughs> but, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so versatile, right? Marijuana right. is so versatile, right? So no, I don't think it's a gateway. I think it is what it is. It's because I know people who, you know, back in those days would smoke crack cocaine, never picked up a joint. Yeah. Right. So it's like, no, drugs are drugs. You, you find the one of your choice. You, you find the one that you feel gives you what you need, but you can control it to some degree.
Right. You feel like you're in control of it. You feel like you are, but you're not. Yeah. Yeah. Because they, because then you start making up excuses as to why it needs to be involved in every moment of your life. Right. Like, nah, nah, you're not in control. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So what about alcohol? Alcohol come on the scene? It did a little, but I didn't like the feeling of being drunk. So Mm. it was more like beer, you know, hang out with the fellas. Let's drink a beer, watch a football game. Um, let's, you know, drink a little vodka, uh, because of whatever circumstances, but I never, you know, really woke up to go to a liquor store. I woke up to marijuana. Mm -hmm. Like it, I lived it. I breathed it. I've got a tattoo, you know, of it. So no, it was my life. I was completely entrenched in smoking marijuana. Alcohol really, really didn't do much for me. What was the difference for you um, in feeling uh, drunk versus feeling high? High gave me a escape while it gave me creativity. So it, it, it was my life. I felt at that time was so worthless. So I didn't feel like, you know, I mean, I got in, you know, wrapped up into the wrong crowd, start doing the wrong things. Um, I always tell people, if you can imagine it being done, I probably did it outside of murder and rape, outside of murder and rape. If you can name a crime, I probably did it at some level. And so my life was going so, so downhill that marijuana gave me the ability to escape it, yet be creative. Back in those days, I was writing music and rapping because, you know, everyone wanted to be a rapper, you know, inner city black kid, you know, here I go with the same old dreams, want to be a rapper. Um, So it gave me the creative outlet where I was able to indulge in writing and creating these lyrics that express my life. But it also gave me an escape from the suffering, whereas alcohol, it just gave me a headache or it made me feel sluggish and it made me feel drained. Uh, I just wanted to go somewhere and kind of like sit down. Whereas marijuana gave me a, an outlet to another world where it allowed me to express myself in some way. Mm-hmm. So I found value in it. Yeah. Interesting. So how did you end up uh, being homeless? Homeless was a choice. That's an interesting story, Jill. Homelessness. Check this out. Now, I always tell the story when people you know, ask me about my bio and things such as that. I dropped out of college twice with two scholarships. Okay? Nice. So shout out to the dropouts out there. It's never too late to make really great decisions in your life and turn it all around. Um, so dropping out is not the end of the world. Uh, so, no, I dropped out twice. High school. I graduated high school. Got a full scholarship to a community college. Two years fully paid for. I was still smoking weed. And so so I would go to this community college, high as a kite, sit in the back of the class. Right. And, you know, the teachers would, I don't know, take take attendance. They would do whatever they would need to do to know that X, Y and Z student was in class. Long story short, my grandmother, who I was staying with at the time, she got a letter. She said, your your student hasn't been in class since school started, pretty much. She brought the letter to me and she said, Jarrell, what are you doing? You're not in school. I said, mom, I go to class every day. What are you talking about? Well, this letter says you're not in class. I said, oh, OK. So it kind of dawned on me like, yeah, you know, I'm 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 there, but I'm not participating. So she says, OK, here's the deal. Here's the deal. You got choices. A, take your butt to school, do what you're supposed to do, and you can stay here. B, get out next Saturday. 
She gave me a seven day notice that, that we, we got that letter on a Saturday. I remember it like yesterday, standing on the porch, 809 Palmwood, Toledo, Ohio. She said, you got go to school, do right, stay here free of charge or get your butt out next Saturday. I looked her in the eye and I said, mom, I'm out. And for the next two years, I was homeless because I chose to be out. Wow. So sleeping in cars, sleeping on front porches, sleeping on back porches, sleeping in crack houses, sleeping at my boy's house, sleeping on my boy's floor, sleeping in roach infested apartment buildings. You name it. I was there. I just had to make it happen. So I'm I'm all over the place, man. Wow. What is the biggest stress about being homeless? What stresses stresses somebody who's who's living on the street? Uh, Maybe the. Maybe just the uncertainty of acceptance, because I was always dependent on someone accepting me for that given day and or like week or so, you know, because sometimes you could say, hey, man, let me stay at your house for a couple of weeks or hey, man, let me stay at your house for a couple of days. It was always the man. What if they don't let me this time? Where am I going to sleep tonight? Oh, man, what if they don't let me crash on a couch tonight? Where am I going to be at? So I think the biggest stretch, the uh, biggest stress is the consistency of shelter. Where am I going to be? And are they going to accept me this time with the added pressure of now, if you're homeless, like I was, meaning I was more of a house hopper, meaning I would stay a couple of weeks with my friends, stay a couple of weeks with a girlfriend, stay a couple of weeks in a crack house. I was all over the place. So I would always have to get someone's permission to stay. That's different from being homeless, like in a tent on the side of the road, homeless. So my experience was always, will they accept me this time, mm-hmm. which added fuel to the fire of what I was already dealing with, never feeling accepted. So that was the stress point for me. That's interesting. I would think that you would say food insecurity would be um, would be the biggest stress. No, you know why? Because I was selling crack at the time. I was selling weed at the time. That little bit of pocket change every day. I was literally at the corner store, chips, soda. Uh, you know, burger from McDonald's, you know, food. We don't, we don't really, we don't really care too much about. I'm smoking weed. If I get a 99 cent burger for the night, I'm good. You know, food is nothing, you know, you you can, you know, you can get some food, something to drink, 99 cent soda. Yeah. No big deal. You know? So yeah. What, What you're worried about is when I close my eyes, wherever or where, wherever I close my eyes, is someone going to rob me, attack me, mm-hmm. do something to me, kill me? That's what you're concerned with. Yeah. And so you did that for how long? Two years. Two years solid. Two years. And then and then what happened? Um, I moved in. <laughs> I moved back in with my mother and her abusive boyfriend. And that just, that was another ridiculous environment. You know, the thread of my life has always just been reckless harmful, hurtful, dramatic environment one after another. So I just moved back in with my mother. Um, she took me and her boyfriend took me in. Um, and, you know, the cycle continued uh, for a little while after that. Um, and then they moved again. And then I moved again with them. And that's when I met my wife. That was at age 20, uh, 21. That's when I met my to-be wife. Um, who, you know, at that time became my girlfriend because we literally, the house that my mother and her boyfriend uh, was renting was literally next door to my then girlfriend, my now wife. And that's where I ended up meeting her. So um, 
you know, I recently heard about this, about this law. Um, what was the name of that law? The law of polarity, right? There's always mm -hmm. two sides to a coin. Every negative has a positive. And so that negative dealing with knowing my mother was being abused and beat down and, you know, emotionally and physically every day. And the only, the, the only way I sought to resolve that was literally to take this man's life. And so I, I couldn't do it because there was no talking to him, right? He, he smoked mm -hmm. crack. My mother smoked crack. There was no reasoning with a crackhead, as we said. Um, so the, so the only option was to literally take this man's life and going to jail for murder was just not something I was trying to do. So I endured, um, hearing and seeing all of the suffering mm -hmm. that my mother was going through. But the other side of the coin was being able to meet, be my future wife. Mm. So how did you um, end up incarcerated? Yeah, I robbed, <laughs> like, like I told you, I've, I've, I've done everything that you can imagine. Um, I robbed my employer. Now, all this time, I'm selling weed, selling crack, running around, robbing everything, doing everything under the sun. Um, I still needed to try and maintain uh, some sort of stability in terms of how I was viewed by society. Okay. Um, and so I needed to work somewhere to say I was legit. Right. Because, you know, in the streets, when the cops roll up on you, if you got a pocket full of money and they can't trace a job, it's like, dude, where are you getting this money from? So anyway, in my mind, I needed to maintain some sort of employment. I'm working at a five star. Now, let me stress this. A five star restaurant, upscale side of town, all affluent individuals would come into this restaurant to eat. I decided to rob it. I'm working there, Jill. And I decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to rob this place. So I robbed my own employer. And that's, that's what landed my butt in jail because the cameras picked me up and they had fingerprint evidence because I decided not to wear gloves. It was so meant to happen. I was so meant to go to jail. It was so, Jesus is so good. He said, man, I'm going to send your butt to jail so you can find me because you are about to lose it. If I, if I let you keep running the streets like this, you're never going to get this thing right. So yeah, I, 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 uh, I robbed him for a couple thousand dollars, got picked up on camera. The cops picked me up about a week or so. Uh, no, about two weeks later, the cops rolled up on me um, at a bank. I was going into a bank and they must have had a warrant out for me. And they uh, they traced my vehicle. They pulled up, you know, in the parking lot on me. And uh, that's when I that's when I went to jail. I, I was facing 15 years for that. That was that was grand theft. So wow. I, I was facing 15. Yeah. Until and how, how many 15. years did you serve? I actually didn't serve any. That's that's the part of my testimony. That's now, where what Jesus happened. Came what in. happened yeah. there? Oh, yeah. I know there's a Jesus jail. You can't tell me ain't no Jesus. I'm in jail about this. What well, I had already seen the judge and I forgot what the what they call it when you first see the judge to get your papers and everything straight. And, you know, they tell you what the charges are. So I did that part. And now I'm being kept, you know, in the county jail because Monday morning. I'm going to see the judge and then we're going to continue from there. They're going to either send me off to the other jail or we're going to have a case, wh whatever we're going to do. So um, I'm, I'm in the jail cell come Sunday morning. And I write about this in my new book um, Sunday morning. And I always call it S O N 
Sunday, son, the son of God day, because, because the bailiff comes down the hall and he says, anyone who wants to go to Sunday service, line up. I'm not religious. I don't go to church. I ain't calling on the name of Jesus. I don't know nothing about no Holy Spirit. <laughs> All I know is here. Here's what I know. I'm tired of that six by nine. I need to get out of this jail cell. So I said, cool. If you're talking about an hour to get out of here, let's go. So I line up. We go down to this little box of a room, metal chairs, metal tables. That's it. And there's about three or four ladies from a local church, all dressed in white. They're at the front and there's a chalkboard behind them. And they just teach a lesson on whatever they were teaching. I don't remember it, but here's what I do remember. At some point in what they were saying, they told me a story about a man named Jesus. And when they said his name, Jesus, Jesus accepts you as you are, as you are. He will take you as you are. His arms are open to you as you are. And when I heard that message that there was a Jesus, a God who loved me and accepted me as I am, I don't got to clean up. I don't got to fix it. I don't got to fit in. I don't got to con- you know, conform to this. I don't got to conform to that. He'll, he'll just take me, Jill. I said, sign me up for this Jesus. Sign me up for this Jesus. So they, so they, so, so they pray with me. They say, you know, put your head down, close your eyes, um, you know, say this prayer. And that was my introduction to, to Christ. Now, there's a longer story attached to that um, that I don't, you know, want to go into for the sake of time. Um, but the way that it all happened was my youth pastor then, which is my senior pastor today, which is my first cousin, he was going to come Monday and stand by me when I saw the judge. Mm-hmm. On his way into the county jail, he's coming up the escalator. As he's coming up, his friend from college, who he hadn't seen in years, was coming down the escalator on the other side. He looks up. They meet eyes. Hey, man, what are you doing? What's going on? I ain't seen you in a while. His friend had become a lawyer. They had a conversation. My my cousin said, hey, man, I'm about to go see my little cuz. He he got locked up. We don't know what's going on. Can you just can you do anything? Can you just accompany us? His friends turns right back around on the spot, joins us in court, takes me on as a client for free. And they strike up a deal. And in in the court system it's called expunge to expunge your record. Don't you know? And I believe that this is the miraculous power, love and grace of God. The owner of that bistro agree to the terms of if Travail simply pays back the money he stole, I'll drop all charges. Really? I'll drop all charges. And on top of it, I'll agree to his record being expunged. That means no employer could Would ever know. see that I ever went to jail. That's right. And, and now, and that led to me now being in corporate America for over 16 years, being paid over six figures, climbing that ladder with ease. If I had never been expunged, I would have never been able to get into corporate America, been able to make the money that I make, support the family that that I support. And it all began with Jesus. Well, there's too many things in that story that are not coincidences, right? (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) Those things don't happen by accident. (laughs) No. 
<laughs> that that is amazing. That is absolutely yeah. amazing. So you met Jesus, and what happened after after that? How did your relationship with with God then start to flourish? Yeah, um, like I said, my my cousin, you know, he was right there by my side. He was a youth pastor then, so um, I told him about my decision for Christ. Um, he, we actually said another, you know, sinner's prayer, you know, type of thing. Um, and, uh, he introduced me, you know, he, he basically brought me into the church. So I joined his youth team and, uh, and I began serving in the church immediately. It was, it was, I forgot what day I was released out of jail, but like that next week or so we were just in, in communication constantly. And for like the next you know year or so, he would just take me out to breakfast um, and he would just meet me and he would open up the Bible. He would literally open up the Bible and say, Travell, ask me any questions that you have. You know, what is it that you need to know? Um, here are some things for you to know. And he mentored me. And that's why I'm so mm. big on mentorship uh, today. But that's how it started. I joined the youth team. Then from there, I began to serve um, in multiple positions within the church. And then I began to, you know, just really you know, just get involved anywhere I could, uh, to assist and to just stay busy. And then, uh, eventually he got a senior pastor's position here in California. And that's what, that's what led to us moving from Toledo out to California. We, we felt called to come, uh, and join him in ministry here. Mm -hmm. And then eventually I became a, uh, associate pastor here, um, after, after receiving my, my call and, and, and my confirmation too. When did uh, your wife meet Jesus? Same time, same time I did. When I got out of jail, um, you know, I told her about my experience and together we went back to, uh, to my cousin and together uh, that's when, that's when she gave her life to God. That's amazing. That's amazing. So tell me about what life is like now. What do you, what do you do? Yeah. Right now, I, I really feel, um, and this was given to me years ago, and how it all flushes out have taken on a million, um, a million faces, a million business names and trademarks and everything else to really flush it out as to what it looks like to the world. But regardless of how it looks aesthetically, the work that I am doing and will continue to do, I believe, until Jesus comes is to cultivate the confidence of God um, within, within an individual's life. I believe that the confidence um, that, that we are to live with uh, has been conditioned out of us through our culture, um, you know, through, through society, through these criteria that we all need to live up to and try to fit in and try to, you know, all, all of these marks that we need to try and meet. Um, and, and, and the confidence that we are to live with and walk with in who and what we are uh, has been stripped away. And so it leaves a lot of people, especially Christians, um, in a sense, enduring life rather than truly living life and truly experiencing the life that Christ has, has come back to make possible for us. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so that's the work that I do through coaching, through content creation, um, through public speaking, through the writing of books. Um, for a little while there, I was a personal trainer. So, you know, ultimately my gift is to teach and to educate. And so that's looked many, many different ways. Um, but ultimately everything that I put my hands to do, it is for the purpose 
of helping someone establish confidence to create the changes that they desire to see in their lives. Mm, that's amazing. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, which uh, denomination or which fellowship are you ordained with? Yeah, well, we, you know, we call it non-denominational. Um, okay. Yeah, so it's really not a true denomination. Um, but my ordination was under the church, the uh, Church Without Walls International out of okay. Boston, uh, Massachusetts. Yeah. 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 Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so informed, inspired, and instructed. What do those words mean to you? That means hmm, confidence in the direction of my life. Um, that is summarized in my favorite passage, Mark 135, where it talks about Jesus getting up very early in the morning, leaving the house, going to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. He said to them, let us go from here to the nearby towns and villages. There I may preach also, for this is why I've come. The reason that that passage has been the echo of my heart ever since I read it is because I see so many people as I once was completely detached from a clear direction for their lives, a.k.a. the confidence in which we were created with and created for. So those things to me summarize, I know the path in which I am to take in this world. That's not to say I know and I can can clearly anticipate every integral step. No, what it means is a very general path in which I am to go, a a general trajectory in which I am on. And without having that, I see a lot of people really just kind of buying time or just kind of hanging Mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. Uh, We we say things like, yeah, man, I'm just chilling. And sadly enough, that term really um, sometimes represents a a person's entire life. I know it did for me, you know. Does it represent like a a stagnation to you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. Just, Just hanging out until... Until hanging out until whatever comes my way, right? You know, and you know, and then reasoning as to why it keeps happening to me, or reasoning why life is just this way, or reasoning why, um, you know, you 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 deserve to see these horrible things uh, continue to happen, or this lack of true life uh, to be experienced. We just reason it away uh, without really having you know, some clarity around what it is that I'm here to do and to be as a contribution uh, to our society. Um, So yeah, definitely, definitely stagnation. What do you, um, what do you most want people to know about you? I think the biggest thing is that I'm available. Mm. To be honest, at this point in my life, my biggest prayer and my biggest focus is exposure. I want people to know that I'm available, um, that that not me necessarily, but I mean, me as in the carrier, the carrier of a message of acceptance mm-hmm. um, that Jesus accepts, that Jesus is available, that Jesus um, desires uh, to give you the life that you desire. Um, and And just for people to know that there is someone who understands where they are who understands how to get from where they are to, to where they want to be. Um, and that I'm willing to help. 
my my pastor has said, and I've heard it said by other great men that the greatest ability is availability and just letting people know that I'm available, uh, that I'm here to serve, uh, serve man and serve society and serve all of, you know, humanity. So that's amazing. What is I am the possible? Yeah, I am the possible is my self-development company. Um, it, it is, it, it represents the concept that I and my possibilities are one and the same. Everything I hope to be tomorrow, I already am today. And this mission and this, 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 this idea, it was sparked by a revelation I had by observing a group of individuals for a couple of months. Um, and one day in my observing of them, as I like to say, you know, I heard their eyes, you know, speak to me. It, it was one of those surreal moments where I just kind of felt an unction as I looked into their eyes. And I, I heard almost like an audible voice. I want to like myself, but not like this. Mm. And that's all I heard. I want to like myself, but not like this. And what that communicated to me and what you know, kind of what I am the possible represents is they're waiting for a condition in their lives to change, to give them permission to mm. like themselves. So I am is a present tense word. The possible is a future tense word. And it is, I am that which I desire to be. I am that which I desire. I am the condition. I am the position. I am the progress. I am the possession that I desire to be. And so we're waiting for something to change outside of us in order to give ourselves permission to like ourselves and to find ourselves by definition acceptable and to be enough when the truth is what God has created you as what you are is, is the enough. reason, is the reason, right? Is that. And so we're searching for something other than ourselves when we are that which we are searching for. That's, that's great. Um, and you've written some books or a book. Yeah. 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 I've written a couple of books, one book, uh, back in 2008 called the corridor to confidence step-by-step guide on cultivating confidence in prayer. Um, that that's something I'm still, uh, teaching something I'm still, um, you know, preaching, uh, is that the center of our confidence begins with prayer, with our connection with our creator. And a lot of people don't have confidence in how to pray and how to see results in and through their prayer life. Uh, and so I want to help to teach them in a very systematic way um, how to cultivate that confidence in God, in themselves and in the act of prayer. And then my latest book, What is Enough? And that was written to individuals who are suffering from spiritual deflation. Uh, mm-hmm. a spiritual disheartenment where they are saying, man, I don't know what to do. Um, I've done everything I know to do. I, I've, I've, I've followed all the steps, all the 10 point plans, and I've climbed the ladders and I've gotten the awards and I've got the medals and, you know, I've, I've achieved all these great things. And yet I still don't feel very good about myself. Mm-hmm. And so it's written to those individuals who have come to a place where they've got it all, they've done it all, and something is still missing. What is enough? What's th- that's the question, and that's also the answer. 
That's awesome. How do people get a hold of you if they want to just find out more or if they want to uh, just connect with you in some way? What's the best way to do that? Yes, the best way to do that is just type in IamThePossible.com um, or in Google, you know, just I am the possible and all of the all of the search engine bots and whatever you know google has working for them <laughs> will will pull me up there but the very best place is iamthepossible.com and from there you can branch out and to see everything else youtubes and books and products and coaching services and etc great all right well travail it has been just a blessing to me you've been a blessing to me this morning and and uh i just thank you for for your time and investment in people and investment in the kingdom so thanks for thanks for joining me this morning thank you as well joe appreciate it if you enjoyed this episode we would love it if you would leave a review on your favorite podcast platform you can find Jill at JillRiley.com, on Facebook at JillRiley.author, Twitter at JillRileyAuthor, and Instagram at JillRiley.author. Also, feel free to send Jill an email at Jill at JillRiley.org. Thanks for listening in and have a great day.